G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. The voice inside says you will lose, lose, lose when in reality you will win, win, win. Where do those thoughts come from, man? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, thanks for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. Our last message was about the unseen world, the spiritual realm, affecting the world we can see. Today, Pastor Jeff is in John chapter 8, and he's looking at the battle that rages in the spiritual and physical worlds, and how we can recognise its influence and overcome it. Just a warning, there are some heavy themes that may not be suitable for young listeners. Let's get into the message now on Today with Jeff Bynes. All right, John chapter 8, verse 44. I hope you have your Bibles with you. You're going to need them. John 8, 44. And here is what I've been trying to do, is express to you that Jesus was very clear. There's an unseen world that greatly impacts the world that is seen, an invisible world that greatly impacts the visible world. And if you deny that and you don't see that coming, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be successful in your life, to to have emotional and psychological stability. And you're going to be out there exposed to all kinds of different moods and temptations and things ultimately that are designed to destroy you. So you've got to get that. You've got to understand that. And the same voices that spoke uh, to the generals of the Third Reich and to the instigators of the Rwandan genocide and to those who developed child pornography, those same voices that bring destruction in so many people's lives are the same voices that you're going to hear every single day of your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to take us through this. It's going to be rapid fire. I want to remind us, according to the scriptures, and most of us have been in church, we've heard this all our lives, so it won't be new. Those of you who are new to this journey, I ask you to just bear with me, pay attention. We'll go through this as a reminder of the three major tactics the devil has, the unseen world has, to destroy you because that's what he's bent on. He doesn't want to bring life into your life. He wants to get you to do things that are ultimately going to bring you down, destroy you, defeat you emotionally, psychologically, even physically at times. So if we can identify his three tactics and then move on to how we're going to win this battle, how we're going to win this war. So I want you to say it with me. He has three tactics. I'm going to say it and then you repeat it after me. Number one is deceit. Deceit. Number two is intimidation. And number three is accusation. Accusation. Deceit, intimidation, accusation. All right, number one, deceit. John 8, 44, here's what happens. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. 
They are saying all these good things you do, the blind are seen, lame are walking. I mean, you get all that power from the dark side, from the evil world. And Jesus looks at him and says, you guys, man, you just, you're not thinking properly. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what the real problem is concerning why you don't believe on these works that I do, that I'm from my father in heaven above. He says, the real problem is in verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Now look up, two things quickly. Number one, let me go back and say again, if you're new here or you're on a journey, or maybe you've been here for a long time, you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I liked you up until this point, but really, 21st century, pal, demons, devils, the evil dark world, where's the Twilight Zone music? Don't worry, we don't have it this week. <laughs> Bible tells us these three tactics that they're real. And the first one is deceit. He's a liar. That's what it means. He's just a liar. He speaks his native language. He lies. That's who he is. But what is seldom understood is how he does it. Now look up. You're already looking up. Okay, keep looking up. <laughs> this past summer, I got the chance to go visit my dad. So I came down I-75, going to head east on I-40. I got about a two-hour drive to the eastern part of Tennessee. And there was a big sign on the motorway, the interstate, that said, Delay up to four hours. Now, that only happens in LA, right? No, this is Tennessee. People don't even leave home most of the time in Tennessee. So this was a shocker. And a, and a petrol tank, a fuel tank had spilled and there was fumes and fuel all over the place. So they basically closed down I-40. I called my friend, Brett Mullen. Brett, he lives close by Knoxville. Brett, I'm stuck, man. I got nowhere to go for four or five hours. He said, where are you? I said, I'm at Strawberry Plains exit. He goes, stay right there. He said, you're just about 20 minutes from Holston Hills Country Club. It's a classic. I can get us on there for free. I thought, great. This is wonderful. He said, did you bring your clubs? Of course I brought my clubs. He said, okay then, go up the next exit. Just turn right. Wait on me. I'll be there in about 10 minutes. So I went up to the next exit. I turned right. As I turned right, would you like to know what I saw? That's right. <laughs> Krispy Kreme donuts. And the red light was on. You know what the red light means, right? What does it mean? It means that God wants you to have one. That's exactly what it means. Now, you have to understand, you have to understand for theological reasons, this brings a lot of conflict and tension into me because theologically speaking, I am convinced that Krispy Kreme donuts just alone is the single best proof of the existence of God in this world. Now, you say, wait a minute, you said it was Cinnabon. No, I said Cinnabon was proof that God is good. Krispy Kreme is proof that God exists. And so... Here's what I did. I just started my protein diet and I was doing all the protein and eating all those protein bars and they all taste like chalk and I've had enough of them. I turned, I saw that red light and then the justification thing started. Now I know this is, this is a little bit humorous but it's the way we work. And so I drive past it and then I started to talk to God. I started to think, wait a minute. The Bible says that God made the earth and it is good. So anything God made is good. God made Krispy Kreme donuts. Everything that came from God, this has got to be good. And I'm saying, God obviously doesn't want me to have a heart of ingratitude. So I would be showing ingratitude to not eat a Krispy Kreme. It would almost be sinful not to take the donut. And I will not surely die. All these things going through my mind. Now, so I made a bargain with God. I said, God, if you don't want me to eat the Krispy Kreme donut, then I would pray that as I turn around, the red light would go off. And then I started thinking, you know, that's, that's a little bit too unclear. I need to be more precise with God. So I said to God, God, if you don't want me to have a Krispy Kreme donut, I would pray that you would just move the store. 
move it away. Just suck it up into heaven or something, right? That's fair enough. And you know what? I turned around. I went back and the store was still there. And the red light was on. I saw that two direct clear signs that God wanted me to have a Krispy Kreme donut. So I pulled up to the window. I ordered a half dozen. I ate four within the span of about three minutes. You can't do that. You cannot. If you go without Krispy Kremes for years and then you eat four at once, at first you're afraid you're going to die. And there you're afraid you're not going to die. Because the pain was, I mean, and I started thinking after this whole scenario, and that really did happen, by the way. And I thought, man, why is it something so bad? It can look so good. Because it is good. It tastes good. Let me tell you, I had a great time until it got about here. I was good. But it'll kill you. Now, here's what the evil one does. It's a humorous story, but I think there's profundity to it. The evil one, it's not that he shows you a wrong picture. He shows you an incomplete picture. We know all about Hollywood. Hollywood is great at editing the bad stuff out, right? You know what it is to see the movie version and then get the unedited version where you get like two more hours. The devil is brilliant. It's showing you all the good and editing out all the bad and running that whole scenario through your mind so that when you're looking across the room in the office at your secretary or office worker, all he shows you is the one night of passion and the cards and letters and the way you'll feel appreciated and loved and respected. And he'll tell you that your wife doesn't look at you that way or your husband doesn't view you that way. And he shows you all that. What he doesn't show you is your wife emotionally distraught a wife who's given you the best years of her life. He doesn't show you the kids who are crying themselves to sleep at night because they don't understand why mommy and daddy have this fractured relationship and who can't concentrate in school anymore because things aren't right at home. Look, in the 70s, we thought kids are resilient. They can withstand anything. Hey, now we know that those fractured families wreak havoc on children. Now, if you're one of those and you've been through that, remember, God does forgive you and he can do amazing things. I'm just saying, while you have the opportunity still, remember, he only shows you the good and edits out the bad. That's why commercialism shows you a new car. This is what they work on this whole premise. They only show you the good stuff, riding down the road, breaking the speed limit, arm out the window, top down, all the girls, woo, looking at you. He only shows you that. What he doesn't show you is later on when you've got your head in your hands and you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay for this thing that this commercial told you you were entitled to and all the stress now and the ball and chain you're carrying around and the tension and stress between you and your wife over financial difficulties. You see, that's the deceit right there. He shows you not a wrong picture, but an incomplete one. And that's why the pornographic or pornography industry is so powerful. You say, oh, Jeff, come on. It's been two weeks. Get off of it. What's the problem? I do it because this industry brings in more money in one year than all the Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL combined. All the player salaries, all the gate takings, all the money, three major sports. You know how much money that is? Pornography still brings in more. Seven out of every 10 people between the ages of 18 and 34, seven out of every 10 are either addicted, beginning to be addicted, or coming out of the addiction. 70%? You think about that. It is a significant factor in two out of every three divorces. It is a major role player. And the largest group addicted to pornography today is between the age of 12 and 17. 
He's gaining them while they're young to destroy them now, now to live a life that is restricted. And please don't give me that speech. Pastor Jeff, I'm not hurting anyone. What I do in the privacy of my own home is my business. Here's my response to you is, my goodness, grow up, would you? Grow up and take some responsibility. Because now we know, statistics are in. We know that you will begin to devalue the opposite sex and treat them as objects. We know that you will develop unrealistic expectations of your husband or wife or future husband or wife. And you will develop insatiable appetites that often lead to frustration, anger, and ultimately violence. As a matter of fact, in a report I read, counselors and psychologists now, when they meet somebody and begin to set up a counseling relationship, and that person is angry and frustrated, coupled with a lack of social skills, Pornography used to be way down the list of where they would look. Now it's the first place they look when they meet somebody that has become unable to relate to other people. <laughs> Folks, the pornographic industry is vintage, unseen world because the highlight reel shows you all the insatiable things, all the appetites and desires. What it doesn't show you is how you get to the point where you can't think about anything else. You spend countless hours hiding and covering up what you're doing. You're embarrassed by it. It controls you to the point that you're never fully in the moment because you're thinking about what's gonna happen later that night. And that voice that you're hearing in this room right now, guys, that's telling you, oh, he's a pastor. He's overdoing it. This is harmless. That's not from God. Got it? Number one, deceit. Say it with me. Deceit. Number two, intimidation. Say it with me. Intimidation. Now, have you heard this passage? 1 Peter 5 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ever heard that? Heard it all my life. Misunderstood it all my life. Because the picture I had of the devil was like our kitten in Zimbabwe, a black cat. We called him Eddie. And this cat would go out on the back lawn and he would hide behind the washing machine just outside the door. And we'd feed the dogs, two boxers and a mongrel. So we'd feed these dogs. And then when the dogs had finished, the birds in the trees would come down and eat the dog food. And Eddie the cat knew if he just was patient long enough that one of the birds would drop a heavy piece of dog food, would turn his attention to get it, and that's when Eddie would pounce. And all my life, I thought, that's the evil one. He hides, he hides, and then when the time is right, he pounces. That is not the word picture given of this passage. No, this is an arrogant line. This line is prowling and he's roaring. I'm here, roar. He's not hiding. He's there and he's arrogant about it because he's all about intimidation. I went to Cheredzi in Zimbabwe to a farmer who owned a lion, actually kept a full grown lion on his property in a little fenced out area. And I would kneel down and I thought, this is great. I've never been this close to a lion, remember? And I get down and this lion kind of turns his head and looks at me like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> I could eat you just like that. And I'm telling you, I don't care whether you believe me or not, that lion went, boom, just jumped at me. And I'm telling you, my heart stopped. And it was like an electric bolt. It just kind of knocked me back. And I tell you, I don't know if lions can smile, but it looked like to me that lion said, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, powerful. I've seen, I've gone on bush walks in Africa where we'll go out with a tour guide and we'll walk out and he'll know where to go. And usually he knows that the lions have eaten, so we're okay. But you might see lions that are kind of hungry again. And we saw, we would see lions that would walk in the middle of Impala and he doesn't prowl hiding. He doesn't hide behind the bushes. He walks out with his head up and his 
and his shoulders back. And it's like he's saying to all the Impala, hey, I could eat any one of you I wanted to. I'm just going to take my time and choose carefully. And I've been there when an Impala will be so fear stricken, they go into some kind of a shock and they can't move. They'll just be, they see the line, can't move. They know everything within them knows they should run. And all the people in the safari walk are saying, run, man, run. But he's so afraid he can't do what he knows he should do. Now, listen, here's what I've discovered in my life. And the Bible is clear about this. Let me be quick. According to the Bible, the evil one uses deceit to get you to do what you know you shouldn't do. He uses fear and intimidation to stop you from doing what you know you ought to do. That's my entire life right there summed up. Folks, my greatest sins, not that I don't have offensive ones, but my greatest sins in my life now at this point in my life, and I have them just like you, but my greatest ones are the things I don't do out of fear and intimidation. I can't give to God. I may not have enough at the end of the month. I can't walk across the room. If I start that God talk, they're going to laugh and ridicule me. I can't reach out to them. They'll monopolize all my time. It'll take a long time to help them. They're beyond help. I can't volunteer in that ministry because they'll bleed me dry and I don't have what it takes anyway to be successful. I can't confront and restore with my relative or my neighbor or my coworker because things will turn south. They'll get really ugly really fast. And the voice inside says you will lose, lose, lose when in reality you will win, win, win. Where do those thoughts come from, man? Deceit, do this, it'll destroy you. Intimidation, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't want to do that. But I do, I do, because it brings life. We're playing. Every time I tell this story, it's just one of the, we're playing our crosstown rivals, Dobbins Bennett, and it's my senior year. And I mean, it's like the last game, you know, and you're going to the regionals. It's important in the life of a senior. And I want to tell you, I look back, and I, I, that's, this, this story still impacts me. Isn't that amazing? This life is short. We go over, we're going over to play our, our crosstown rivals, Dobbins Bennett. And they have this player named Bruce Transbarger, who everybody talks about. But both our teams are really good. And he went on eventually to play for Ole Miss, four years, D1 scholarship. Great player, big guy. And from Monday to Thursday, the game was going to be Friday night at our place. The reporters came in, because when you, when you live in a small town, you don't have much to do. So when there's a basketball game in town, everybody goes. I mean, the whole town will literally shut down and go. It's like small town Indiana. And so the reporters would shove a microphone in my face every day after practice. Jeff, do you think you're going to be able to guard Bruce Transbarger? I got tired of hearing that question. Every practice, the same question. Now, I had a friend slash enemy, you know these kind, who called me from Kingsport. And he said, Jeff, man, how you doing? I said, what do you mean? He says, are, are you nervous? I'm all right. He said, dude, you ought to be. He said, you're outclassed on this one. Thanks, friend. You don't stand a chance. I'm just saying, man, you got to go to Coach Duggar and tell Coach Duggar to play a zone so that you won't be exposed. Because if you play man-to-man, -man, you're going to be embarrassed, man. I don't think you want that your last game. Man, I was, after I got off the phone, I was beaten. Now, thank God I had another friend who was a Pentecostal. God bless those Pentecostals. Because he got me on the phone. He said, man, don't you listen to that. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'm not sure that applies to Bruce Transbarger, but I liked it. You can do it, Jeff. God did not give us the spirit of fear and timidity. Man, you're right. It was like a pep rally. You can guard this guy, Jeff. 
He may be big, but you're fast. He may be, well, he may be able to shoot well, but you can jump well. I'm telling you, you can take him. And it was one big pep rally. After it was over, I felt so good. And I want to tell you, I was motivated that I held a Bruce Transbarger to four points. Never forget it. That's all he got. I was so happy. I got none, but that doesn't matter. I held him to four, four points. And my point is this. My first friend was to me what Satan is to us. That the, the greatest things that I could potentially do and my greatest sins come out of fear and intimidations, courageous words that stick in the back of my throat and never come out, generous gifts that remain in my pocket out of fear, bold words, God loves you, I'm sorry, I repent, that I'm afraid to risk, rooms that remain uncrossed, folks. Acts of service remain undone. People remain unloved, all because I have fallen for the lie that greater is he in the world than the one who's in me. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. Sorry, we need to pause it there for now, but we will hear the rest of this message next time, all about conquering the unseen world. Number one, if you're gonna win the battle and the victory and ultimately the war, You've got to resolve to win the war before the battle begins. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.